You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Our scripture today is found in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Our missionary focus today is our family in India, and I cannot mention their name for safety reasons. I have a list of five things that they asked for prayer, so let's bow our heads and pray for them together. Lord, thank you for bringing us all here today. Thank you that you are the solid rock, and no matter how shaky things might seem, we have a solid rock to stand on. Lord, I pray for um, our family in in, um, India. I pray for guidance in how to be powerful witnesses to the unreached. I pray, Lord, that their ministry will continue to grow and that they practice wisdom as their boys reach ages to enter their own mission field. We pray that the potential mission trip that they're taking to the U.S. would occur and go smoothly this March. We pray that their eldest son will be admitted to a Bible seminary in the United States. And we pray for protection and growth for the churches that their students serve. Lord, we lift all these things up to you and trust you to do your will. And we pray for your blessing over the service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. We're in, I think, the fourth week in this little sermon series that we're doing on our mission statement, on our vision statement, what makes us tick, why do we do what we do? You know, that, that, that we exist to develop followers of Jesus who prayerfully engage their communities with the gospel. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to be about. And so uh, we only have two weeks left the, today and then next week in the sermon series. Then we pick up in Daniel. We're gonna do, I'm going to preach a sermon series through Daniel. That's uh, on... February 14th, that's when we go to two services, by the way, so we'll, we'll, this service that will not change at all, but we will have a 9.30 service, and the space between 9.30 and 11, between those two services, will be a time for prayer in here. But yeah, we exist to uh, develop followers of Jesus, make followers of Jesus, make disciples of Jesus, who prayerfully engage their communities with the gospel. I don't know 
if this story will sound familiar to you, but it popped up on my newsfeed, and I, when, I, when I read it, I'm like, yes, I'm using that this Sunday, because it's interesting. Um, so he, <laughs> there's this woman whose husband uh, walked, you know, left, her home, left the home to run some errands or whatever and left his phone behind. It's his wife. So she thought, well, I'll check his phone. She checked his phone and discovered a bunch of photos of her husband with this younger woman. And so she did with any, what any other wife would do. She, as soon as he walked in the door, she grabbed the knife and tried to stab him. No, you shouldn't do that, right? So, but she did. She did. And uh, the article that posted this report, uh, The Star is the name of the, the news blog, said, uh, this is what they wrote, a confused and enraged wife stabbed her husband after seeing photos of him with a younger woman. The suspect, uh, the suspect attacked her husband, only identified as one. After she saw photos of him with a younger woman in his cell phone, it turned out that the photos were of them back when they were still only dating, <laughs> which the husband digitalized and, and put on his phone to store them on his phone According to the report, Juan was able to explain this to his wife after managing to take away the knife after she stabbed him. Police got to the scene after the neighbors reported shouting and sounds of scuffling from their home, the report said. Now, they've got bigger marital problems as a result of the wife wigging out and stabbing her husband. Um, the title... The, the title of the article is Wife Stabs Husband After Seeing Her Younger Self in Old Photos Thought He Was Cheating. I thought, I'm using that this Sunday because one, it is a funny story, not for one, but for the rest of us. And, and two, it, it, is, it, it illustrates so many things that I want to say today. And, and here's what I want to say. When we look at the church in Acts, when we read about the church in Acts, and then we compare that with the church, the 21st century church, it is tempting for us, it is easy for us to assume that was a different church then, this is a different church today. Like that was the bride of Jesus, but it's a different bride now. Like this is a different whole, this is a whole different... Uh, you know, entity, and here's what I want you to hear. This is my big idea. This is what I want you to hear. I want you to walk away with this. I want, you to, I want this to resonate, you know, on your heart, and it's this. You ready? The same spirit that filled the church in Acts is the same spirit, the same Holy Spirit, who's the third member of the Trinity of God, is the same spirit who fills you today. The same church that was the first century church is the same church today. We are the same church, just different dress. Now we are older. We're not as young <laughs> as the first century. M maybe, you know, a little heavier. <laughs> maybe don't recognize ourselves. But we are the same church. We are the same church. And when... Um, when we read of how the, the church in Acts was able to, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit, turn her, the world upside down in the first century, we think, oh, that was then, but this is now, and that's not going to happen now. Oh, yeah, it can happen now. Like the Spirit of God wants to use you and wants to use me. I, you know, I've been talking about this in this sermon series, that, that um, 
You know, some of you think, man, if I just had, if I just had a, a, more of the Holy Spirit in my life, then, then I'd be able to live for Jesus, or then I'd be able to do this, then I'd be able to do that. And the reality is, is that you have all of the Holy Spirit that you could possibly need. It's, the question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? And so, like, you read Acts chapter 2. And when I read Acts chapter 2, I think to myself, why can't this happen today? Why would I think that this would not happen today? So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I'll read it for you. Uh, the words will be on the screen. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This is the first life group, by the way. They received their food with, with, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I read that and I ask, why can't that happen today? Well, it can like the Spirit of God wants to, wants to empower the church and use the church, wants to use us to do what we read about in Acts. And um, I, I, just, I just hope that you're encouraged by that. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul, Paul basically does this. He says, look, hey, you want to know how to engage your communities with the gospel? Look at Jesus. Look at how Jesus interacted with his world. And as you follow him, imitate him. So there are three things that we learn about mission here. And I, so last week I talked about the you know, why. Why, do you want to, why ought you want to, why, like, why should you want to engage Cheyenne with the gospel? Because the mortality rate in Cheyenne is 100%. Every single one of us is going to die. At some point, right? It's, uh, it, it is, it, it's a, the, the most terminal disease in the world. We're all going to die. It's called death, right? Uh, and it's a result of sin. And, uh, and, and so what I said last week is that 80% of those who live in Cheyenne who die will stand before Jesus as the judge only to find themselves in a Christless, eternal hell. That was last week. So if you didn't listen to the sermon last week, check it out. Um, this week is, so how? Well, one, serve like Jesus. If you have a digital device that you're using for your Bible, or if you have a Bible, there's one under the seat somewhere around you, um, you can grab it. But in the first three verses, we read the, these words. There, so, there, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so what Paul is saying is saying, have this mind... That, that Jesus had as he engaged his world with the gospel. And, and this is what that mind looks like. It looks like love. 
You know, it, it looks like, uh, like being in, having one thing in common, which is the gospel. It looks like doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And what Paul was not saying, he was not saying, look, he, like, copy Jesus because Jesus made everybody more important than himself. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is, Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. Why did he do it? To reach those, to bring the gospel to those, to make redemption possible for those who do not know God. So, so serve like Jesus. Um, two of his disciples, uh, well, the mother of two of his disciples came up to Jesus one day and asked Jesus if he would allow both of her sons to have the seat of honor on both his left and his right side in the kingdom. And, um, and so, you know, it's, she's just looking out for her kids, and Jesus gave, you know, answered her in a way that probably surprised her and shocked his disciples. And, um, and this is what he said in Mark chapter 10. He said, if you're taking notes, it's verses 35 and following. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to be great, you need to be the least of them all. If you want to, um, if, if you want to make a difference in this world, you need to die to yourself. Like, like the Son of Man, like Jesus, who took his cross. And where did his cross lead him? And lead him and led him to Golgotha. Count others more significant than yourselves. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, right? And Paul said, Hey, this is how I'm trying to live out the mission for 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 the you know this mission that Christ has called me to. And um, he said, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Well, more of who? People who don't know Jesus. Like to the Jew, I become a Jew in order to win Jews. To the Gentile, I become like a Gentile in order to win Gentiles. To the weak, I become like the weak to win the weak. Well, why? Because the mortality rate of every community, every nation is 100%. And people are dying. And they need to hear the gospel if they're going to, if they're going to escape the wrath of God. And, and so I do that, Paul said, I do that. I've become all things to all people that, I, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. That's why I do it. I, I talked about this last week. Like we are called to mission. Here's the hard thing, okay? This is so hard for our American ears and, 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 and our, our brains that have been shaped by our, an American culture to, 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 to get, okay? When Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me, what he was saying was that if you are going to follow me, my mission, my mission needs to be the, the, you know, the center of your life. Like that's, it's, it's the center of what you do and your lifestyle is built around it. See, in America, what we do in the church 
is we're like, I'm going to make my lifestyle the center of everything I do, I'm gonna, and, and mission can find its way around my lifestyle. So I want, a, I want a better job. So before I even consider whether or not that lines up with God's mission, I'm going to jump at that and then hopefully build and engage mission around it. I want to live in a different place. And before we think about, is this where God wants me? Is this where he's called me? Is this the mission that he's called me into? Uh, we, jump, we jump ship and, and hope that hey, we can do mission around our lifestyle. And, and that is completely the opposite of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, if you want to follow Jesus, then his mission needs to be central to your life, not your lifestyle. And mission is built, or your lifestyle is kind of shaped around your mission. I mean, we see that over and over again. Think of one person in the Bible where, who was following God where that did not happen, where, where they um, did not make mission the central part of what they were doing and built their lifestyle around it. We're going to spend 20 weeks in Daniel. Like, Daniel's, Daniel's uh, mission was central. It, he was forced <laughs> into a different nation, of course, and there are all kinds of things happening around him, but his lifestyle was built around his mission. And so uh, Paul said that's what he aims to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which we looked at last week, that's what he was aiming to do. And in Philippians chapter 2, that's what we're told to do. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to imitate him, if you want to engage his mission, then have this mind that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that by all means I might save some. And secondly, in verses 4 through 8, give like Jesus. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he... So what, is his, what does his mind look like? Verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Like, that, that's, that will blow your mind. But verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a what? A servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Well, how did he do that? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Jesus... Was, I said this, I think I mentioned this last week, but when we think about Jesus in, in relation to mission, when Jesus came out of the birth canal, he didn't come out singing hymns and quoting scripture verses. Like, I, like, there was no magical download button where God said, okay, it's time, Messiah mode, hit the button, and everything was downloaded, and Jesus just you know, was a different person. That's not how it happened. By Jesus humbling himself, he humbled himself by being born of a virgin. And when he, when he was born, he came out screaming, you know, crying once he had air in his lungs because he didn't like the cold air that he was experiencing for the first time out of his mother's womb. And as he grew up, you know what he had to do? He had to learn the language of the people that surrounded him. And in that day, it was Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And, uh, and then he had to learn the, cult, the, the language of the culture that surrounded him. Like every culture has things that are taboo and things that aren't taboo. Like what's not taboo in one culture is taboo in another culture. What's rude in one culture is not rude in another culture. I mean, think about it. Um, like in Japan, I, from what I understand, I haven't lived there, but in Japan... Uh, if you really enjoy a meal, you can chew with your mouth open and make all kinds of noise, I, I guess, when you're chewing. But if you do that at our dinner table, that's rude, right? Like, like we, 
you know, we coach our children from early on. Chew with your mouth what? Shut, right? Um, I mean, our culture is, you know, we use forks, and they go on one side of the, one side of the plate. If, I don't even know which side, but I, I just follow the orders. Um, and in and, and some cultures, it's chopsticks. In other cultures, it's something else. It's, some use their hands. If, I went to, if you invited me over to your house, and you, gave, you, know, you had rice and, you know, and chicken, and I, started, I, I tossed the, the fork aside and started eating with my hands, uh, you probably would think that was rude or weird, and like, we're never inviting the pastor over our house again. He's strange. Um, so, so Jesus had to learn culture. He had to learn the customs of the day, the, 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 holiday, the holidays of his day. He had to learn. And, and those, the, the cultural language that he learned, he used to engage his world. Every good missionary, like I said last week, the, the, those, those two things. Learns the language of the people, learns the cultural language. And I said last week, the cultural language are the cultural goods of every culture, every community. What happens in a world that doesn't know God is they take those things that are actually good and they elevate them and make them ultimate. And what happens is they make them into idols. Uh, not every idol is a golden statue. And so, so we as the church need to figure out what are the cultural goods, what's the cultural language, and engage our world with the gospel. I talked a lot about that last week, so if you, didn't, if you weren't here, go online. You can read the manuscript or listen to the sermon. So give like Jesus, to give like Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, how many of you uh, heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Okay, so he uh, lived in Germany during the rise of Nazi Germany. He was a Lutheran German theologian who was madly in love with Jesus. He was gospel-centered. And uh, as he watched the stuff happen in his nation, it bothered him, right? It, re- it greatly bothered him. So he, uh, he was bothered by that. And, and so he came, like his peers, he found himself in America. I believe he was maybe teaching, doing some teaching, preaching in, various, in certain churches. And some of his peers, theologians, pastors from Germany, uh, fled the country of Germany because of what was happening. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was asked, you know, to stay in America, his response was, I can't. And here's why. How can I help my people rebuild if I have not yet first suffered with them? I need to suffer with them. So he went back to Germany. It was illegal to be a Christian or, or to be a part of a church that was not registered with the state. He couldn't do that. He, didn't, he couldn't agree with what was happening in Germany. So he, uh, he started an underground seminary and was training pastors up illegally. He was a pacifist. He didn't agree with, uh, with violence. But then as he saw his neighbors, his Jewish neighbors, being hauled off and executed and killed and, and, and taken to concentration camps, he struggled with that. Like, what, how can I remain silent? Uh, what he wound up doing is he wound up becoming a part of the resistance. And actually, it was a part of an assassination attempt to, to, to kill Hitler. Well, he was discovered along with the others that were involved in that, and he was put in prison. While in prison, he used his time in prison to share the gospel with those with his cellmates and, his guard, and the guards in the prison. 
uh, one of Hitler's last acts uh, before Hitler supposedly killed himself, had one, he, they, to, to execute these prisoners, Dietrich Bonhoeffer being one of them. And uh, as the guard led, one of the guards led Dietrich Bonhoeffer to the gallows where they were going to hang him, he looked at Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he said, well, I guess this is the end. And they, Dietrich Bonhoeffer looked at the guard and he said, no, for me, it's the beginning. Knowing that he's about to be hung and that he would spend eternity in the presence of God. The same Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit that enabled Dietrich Bonhoeffer to start an underground seminary to, to uh, train up pastors and to stare at death and say, no, this is not the end for me, it's the beginning, is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you and dwells in me that you were baptized with and I was baptized with. The same Holy Spirit that wants to fill you and wants to fill me and to empower you and to empower me to do mission in Cheyenne. Another guy is a, a, who's a hero of my faith and I, repeat, I share his story often is Jim Elliot. How many of you have heard of Jim Elliot? Okay, a few, maybe a few more of you. Jim Elliot and his four missionary friends, they all went to, I believe they all went to the same school. They went to... Um, uh, Wheaton, Wheaton Bible College, and uh, they felt a call to go to the Wadani tribe, South America, considered to be the most violent tribe in South America. No, no real human contact was made with them. They were in danger of causing their tribe, their own people and their own tribe were in danger of causing their own tribe to become extinct for murdering each other. And so, you know, uh, this is a photo, an actual photo, of uh, Nate Saint interacting with one of uh, the Wadani. They found, Nate was a, uh, was a pilot, and they found a small strip of sand to land the, the plane on. First, the way they interact, the way they were made contact with the Wadani is they, made cir they circled around where the tribe was, and they would lower gifts uh, in a bucket for the tribes, and then they felt like, okay, we've established some kind of contact, then they landed and eventually made contact with them. Uh, Nate Saint was asked by his either son or his daughter that, um, because Jim Elliott, I believe, was the only one who had a gun, and he asked, if the Wadani try to hurt you, will you shoot them? And he said, no, because the Wadani are not ready for heaven, and we are. Not long after they made contact, uh, the Wadani misunderstood their intentions and speared all of them to death, dumped their bodies in the river. And um, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, and Nate Saint's wife, I can't remember her name, after they recovered the bodies of their dead husbands and buried them, they felt God's call to reach the Wadani with the gospel and they went into the tribe through the women, under the protection of the women in the tribe. They brought the gospel to the tribe, and almost all of them wound up placing their faith and trust in Jesus, and a church was birthed. The same Holy Spirit that filled Elizabeth Elliot and Nate's wife to be able to go into this violent tribe to bring the gospel to them is the same Spirit of God that wants to use you and wants to use me in Cheyenne and in Wyoming. Do you understand that? Like nothing's changed. And with the church in Acts chapter 2 and the 21st century church. It's just different dress. And the Spirit of God wants to use you and wants to, wants to use me. Um, 
just to give you an idea of just the kind of caliber of a man that Jim Elliott uh, was, he wrote this. This was found in his journal. It said, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but I, but a, but but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Do you know when he wrote that? In his early 20s, the age of some of you. That's why I believe that you know, young adults are super important, you know, and they ought to be at Meadowbrook, and youth ministry is super important. He was in his early 20s when he wrote that, when he began to sense a call to reach the Wadani with the gospel. And they were just a catalyst that God used to, to make the Wadani receptive to the gospel that their wives introduced them to. There's a photo of, um, of two of the Wadani who were responsible for killing the missionaries, baptizing Nate's son and daughter in the river where they dumped their, their father's body. There's a photo of them baptizing them because as a result of their faith in Jesus, they became elders in the church, and God was using them, and they baptized the children of the men that they murdered before they, found, before they knew Jesus. That is the power of the gospel. Like, I, I am convinced, like, there is no reason why 80% of those who die in Cheyenne should spend eternity in hell having not heard the gospel or having not had somebody, uh, you know, unpack the gospel for them. There's no reason why the suicide rate in Cheyenne should, should be so high when the church is here. We're the church. We represent the gospel. We represent the King of kings and Lord of lords. To live, to, to, to live and to give like Jesus is to follow his ways and to, to imitate him and to and to obey him. Jesus said this about following him in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. Let's read it together. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time uh, and houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So what is he saying there? He's saying how you live your life for the gospel is worth it. Like, it's worth it. It's, it's not easy. Like, like, stepping out of your comfort zone to, to fall in love with the people who do not know Jesus, who behave like they do not know Jesus, who act as though they're spiritually dead, is not comfortable. But guess what? All of us were there at one point in our lives. And God met us where we were at, brought somebody in our lives who shared the gospel with you or with me. And Jesus said, like, it's worth it. Like, all of our stuff will wind up in a landfill someday. Now, listen, I like nice stuff. Like, I have a really nice bike. I love cycling. I was able to get out for the first time a couple days ago and loved it. It's an expensive bicycle. I collect comic books. I like collecting comic books. I, I, I have certain hobbies. Um, to my wife's pain, right? Like, like there's just things I really... But all of that stuff will wind up in a landfill someday. All of it. 
But what we do in the name of Jesus, if we make mission the, center, the central part of what, what we do and build our life around mission, it's worth it. Will you be able to you know, live in the place that you dreamed to live? Maybe not. Will you be able to get the stuff that you hope to get one day? Maybe not. Will it result in early retirement? Possibly not. But it'll be worth it. David Livingston was another missionary who went to Africa, and he suffered a lot. Like He, it was, he suffered diseases. Um, his wife was sick for like five years and couldn't be with him on the mission field. He was attacked by wild animals. Towards the end of his life, he had to be carried out uh, because he could not walk. One day, um, as he was very sick, he, had to, he asked those who were taking him around to, to help him on his knees in a hut. I, I don't know if he lived there or if he was visiting a, a, a community to help him so he could pray. And he, he would pray on his knees. And so they helped him to, to get on his knees so he could pray. And they left the room because they felt like when he prayed, they were standing on holy ground. And so they stood outside the hut. And, and time went by, and it just got the, got the feeling it was, pretty, it was longer than it needed to be. So one of the men went in to check on David Livingston, and, and they found him on his knees. He had died while praying. He was, a, before his death, he was invited to, I believe, the University of Cambridge to talk about his experience as a missionary. And he answered the question that some had about, his, about suffering. This is what he said. For my own part... I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifices I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity, the consequences of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word, oh, he says, away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it's a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. So the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that enabled and emboldened David Livingston to go to Africa to bring the gospel and some of the hardest places to bring the gospel to is the same Holy Spirit that indwells you and indwells me. Like I really, really believe there is no reason why we should doubt that uh, what the first century church experienced in Acts chapter 2 is beyond our reach in experiencing here in the 21st century. And I, prom- I, I said this a couple weeks ago, I promise you that if you walk in step with the Spirit, what I mean by that is if you're, if you're listening to the voice of God, listening, I don't expect to be able to uh, to be used of God in a powerful way if you're not listening to him. Now, he ought, sometimes will use, use us in our rebellious states when we're like the dumbest, <laughs> right? I mean, but but if, if, you're, if you're listening to him through, by reading his word and you're applying what you're reading into your life, 
the way the Holy Spirit has historically moved in the church and in the lives of God's people is that he takes the word of God, the, the, the word of God, and, and he empowers God's people by taking that and, and, and applying it you know, to their lives. God always uses the word of his, his word and the power of his spirit to generate life. If you want to experience the Holy Spirit in a tangible way, if you want to experience um, what the church experienced in Acts chapter 2, you're not going to experience that if you're just, you know, you treat the Bible or you treat the Word of God as like, hey, a verse a day keeps the devil away. Um, I'll just show up on Sunday. That's my thing. I'm in. Like, you, following Jesus means learning from him, which leads me to my you know, the final point here, and that's shine like Jesus. Look at verse 9. Therefore, so Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He took on your sin. He took on my sin so that we could know life. I mean, he experienced the wrath of God in your place for us to redeem mankind. He did that for you. He did that for me. Uh, And then in verse 9, Uh, We're told, therefore, in light of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like there is, like Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and uh, if we if we align our life with Him and make His mission our mission and build our lifestyle around His mission. Uh, what, we're, what we learn is that it's not only worth it, but every follower of Jesus, every Christian, when you breathe your last breath and open your eyes on, 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 in eternity and you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, all that, is, 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 that belongs to Jesus is ours. Like we're recipients of all that belongs to him. We're heirs of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Nobody can hold a candle to that. And just because you can't feel it right now or can't experience it right now doesn't mean it's not true. It's true. It's true. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, like he didn't know. He didn't know what was coming after Philippians. He wrote Philippians thinking this is it. Like this is probably it. I'm not getting out of prison. He was chained to a guard. He was under house arrest most likely. And, uh, and there were people in authority that wanted him dead. And you know what he said at the very beginning as he tried to encourage these Christians, these Philippian Christians? For to me, to live is what? Christ. And to die is gain. What do you do with somebody like that? He was really convinced of that. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. You're chained to a guard who wants nothing to do with Jesus. And, and that guard can't get, couldn't get away from Paul. I mean, just imagine the, the, uh, the frustration of some of these guards. Like, Paul would not shut up about Jesus. And, uh, and so what do you do with this guy? You know, the guard says to him, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> to die is gain. All right? Well, then, uh, then, then I won't kill you. I'll just make it really rough on you. I'll just, I'll make, I'll just make life miserable. To live is Christ. Like, what do you do with somebody like that? The same Holy Spirit that empowered Paul and, and, and emboldened him and used him is the same Holy Spirit that's in you and that's in me if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. 
And you don't know, you don't know how, how short life is going to be for you. Like, you just don't know. I got, uh, so there was a family, several families I, that, that I knew. Back when I was in Pennsylvania, I attended a church, Crossing Community Church. It was a formative church in my life. They had such an impact on my life in so many ways. And uh, I was friends with the Ashton family and the Getmans. The Getmans I was involved with youth ministry with. The Ashtons I was involved with a life group with in my early 20s. And so they, I had not met both these two children, but these two children, and it's, now I feel old, right? Because I taught Sunday school, sixth grade Sunday school in this church, and they're all like, most of them are grown and they have children now. Um, but two of them had children. Um, the Ashtons had a boy, one of their boys, and um, I think his name was Isaac. I never met him. And then the Getmans had Wintergale. They grew up, and I believe in the same church, fell in love. They got married. Early 20s, I think 20, 21 years old. June 2020, got married. October 2020, um, Isaac found out that uh, he had leukemia. During the month of December, spent it, spent it at Children's Hospital. On Monday, he breathed his last breath and he died. Now he was, he's in heaven. His faith and trust rested in Jesus. We only have one life. One life. And what we do on planet Earth matters. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. We're told by, you know, of Jesus that all things were created through him and for him. Jesus promised in John chapter 14, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Moments, hours before Jesus was to be betrayed and executed, said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. It's worth it, brothers and sisters. It's worth it. We exist to develop followers of Jesus who prayerfully engage their communities with the gospel. That's why we're here. We're not here to put on a show on Sunday. I'm not, I'm not here to entertain you, to make church cool or hip. I, I, I feel like there's enough marvel and mystery in this book and, and, with the, and, and who God is. And I don't need to do anything to, to, to woo you to him. You just need to see the God of the Bible. And... Um, I promise you, I promise you if, you, if you listen to him through his word and you seek him and you ask, God, I want to be used of you, use me, and you apply what you're, what you're hearing from his word into your life, I promise you, you will, you will experience some of the same things that the early church experienced. Maybe not everything, but some of the same things. I didn't do this in the very first service, but in the second service I did, and I'm going to end it on this. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to think about, not right now, but to think about praying a very dangerous prayer. I think, I think the payoff makes it worth it. But it's dangerous. And here's the prayer. 
I challenge you to pray just sincerely to God. God, do whatever you need to do in my life to draw me closer to you. Whatever it is that's keeping me back, holding me back from you, whatever it is that needs to go, I want you to take it. I want you to be the love of my life. It's a dangerous prayer. But I promise you, if you, with your whole heart, ask God to do that in your life, he'll answer that prayer. It might not be the way that you envisioned it. Like when I was in my early 20s, I prayed that prayer. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> like health? Like you got to touch my health? I, like I was, for like months, I was dealing with uh, the panic attacks and heart palpitations and and uh, I was super dizzy to the point where I couldn't drive. I thought something was wrong with my brain. And, and uh, had MRIs and all kinds of stuff. And, and then it dawned on me after, after going through this whole medical regimen of trying to figure out what was going on with me, I remembered the prayer I prayed. Like, and I felt like God said to me, you wanted, you wanted to experience me in a tangible way. You wanted to draw closer to me. And look what this experience has been doing in your life. It's been drawing you closer to me. Like, that's a dangerous prayer. But I, um, I challenge you to think about it and then pray that prayer. Ask God in a very tangible way to turn your world upside down so that you wind up being closer to him than you ever were before. So that life verse that I want, uh, want it to be for our church, our church family, is... Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Next week, every single one of you are going to get a laminated little card with that verse on it. I want us to like, make it our life verse as a congregation. Let's read this together. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. How many of you want that? I want that in my life. I want to experience Acts chapter 2 in my life. There's no reason why I shouldn't be experiencing that if I'm following him and, and I'm listening to him and I'm applying the, 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 the word of God into my life. There's no reason why I shouldn't be able to experience those things. The same Holy Spirit that filled the Acts of chapter, you know, Acts in chapter 2 in the church there is the same Holy Spirit that wants to use you in Cheyenne and in Wyoming in your communities. I, I, that I know for certain. I think 2021 can be a real exciting year for the church in America. You know, the church in China is growing. The underground church is growing. Somebody told me that uh, the projected growth in the next 10 or 15 years for the church in China will be in the hundreds of thousands of Christians who are meeting illegally against the government's wishes. The church in North Korea is growing. Christians who, who if they're caught with any portion of the Bible, are executed, are, are, are passing scripture amongst each other and hand-copying pages of the Bible, hiding them under the floorboards in their house, burying them in the dirt, meeting in secret places, and the church in North Korea is growing. The church in Iran is growing. You know what's happening in Iran? It's so exciting in, in the Middle East. 
Muslims are having visions and dreams of Jesus that is causing them to lose sleep and giving their life, and they wind up giving their lives to Jesus. This is not me making this up. This is happening in the Middle East. The church is exploding in Iran right now. And the same Holy Spirit that's responsible for what's happening in China, in North Korea, in Iran, is the same Holy Spirit that wants to use Meadowbrook, Cheyenne Hills, Element, and any other church, that find, a local church that finds their home in Cheyenne. Why should we expect any different? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for filling us with your Spirit, baptizing us with your Holy Spirit wanting to use us for your glory and for the good of Cheyenne as well as for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.